love you. They really love you. You're going to pull the same crap. You pulled for McMahon. There. You got another thing coming. We've had enough out of you, pal. Enough. You think you're going to come down? I am not. you in New York. Don't even get my face because you got one coming, punk. Because I would take the opportunity to slap the paint right off of your face. Well, yeah, you would have to see that too, wouldn't you? You popped it. Your opportunity is right now. see that. It's right now. Get him! Jimmy, where's Sullivan? From what I understand, Sullivan's taking a leave of absence. He's gone to collect himself. Will you tell him I hope he finds himself? I hope he collects himself, because I'm a little sick and tired of the same old song and dance. Gonna put him away right here. He called for Nick Patrick. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast going back in the time machine of May of 1997 for volume one of this month's show. We've got four volumes for you this month. Volume number two takes us to the WWF looking at In Your House, A Cold Day in Hell. Volume number three takes us to ECW looking at the Buffalo Invasion and volume number four takes us to our latest installment of the UFC shows including a trip to a certain episode of Friends that you, uh, I know uh, I know, Del might like watching as well. Uh, introducing first, Del Muir. Del, good afternoon. Hi, Bob. And Peter Kimmer. Pete, hello. Hi, Bob. You OK? Very good, thank you, Pete. Uh, Pete, he's off with the news. Kevin Sullivan departed his role as a league booker of WCW this month. Although Eric Bischoff was keen to stress to Tamland this was only a temporary break. Sullivan, who took over from Flair a couple of years ago, is reportedly dealing with personal problems and burnout in one of the toughest jobs in wrestling. Bischoff, both publicly and privately, was keen to state that he was concerned about Sullivan burning out and he wanted him to take some time off so he could come back hungry. It's said that Terry Taylor and Paul Ordenoff have picked up, picked up most of the work in Sullivan's absence, and despite the rumours, it seems like neither Diamond Dallas Page or Kevin Nash want the hassle of doing it. And moving on to an on-screen perspective, the babyface team at Roddy Piper, Rick Flair and Kevin Green, won the, the main event at the WCW pay-per-view last month. They beat the NWO Wolfpack. Um, once again, backstage politics... Not unsurprisingly, playing a bit of a part in the match. It was suggested that Six do a clean job himself, which Nash basically laughed off as being too obvious. Um, he then suggested that if they were going to do it right, they might as well have him and Hall do jobs as well, which is exactly what happened in the end. Um, all the, the heels laid down, a triple finish, selling the offence afterwards. 
and it said that the three earned a lot of respect backstage for being willing to do the job so cleanly. The match was changed in part due to Hogan was away, so Roddy Piper. Um, Piper apparently threatened to pull out of the match and said that Piper's actually getting a lot of heat backstage due to being somewhat distance, uh, distant with the rest of the talent. The other big match going in Stanbury was all 15 minutes of Steve McMichael against Reggie White, which McMichael won after help from Jeff Jarrett. Now just uh, Stephen Regal, the Lord has disappeared, defeated Ultimo Dragon to win the WCW television title, and Dean Malenko retained his United States title over Jarrett. There are also wins for Medusa, Rey Mysterio Jr., Glacier, Meng, and the Steiner Brothers. The bar rate for this show, as was last month, is expected to do about 0.6. Even with all the football stars on the show, Hogan's, Hogan's absence, as ever, was still a big factor. And looking forward to next month, WCW is pushing a mystery debut ahead of uh, Nitro in Las Vegas at the end of June. Apparently it's going to be the former Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig, even if the WWF are still trying to claim that he's under contract to them. Um, it's also possible that both he and Raven, the former Scott Levy or Johnny Polo, could also join the NWO. And after Ric Flair's reference to the amount of quote-unquote ass that Six got, Apparently, WCW is threatened to pre-record Flair's uh, promos if he continued like that in the future. And on WCW's potential new Thursday show, it said that Eric Bischoff wants a time slot where they won't get moved around for other live sports that he's been having recently on Mondays, which might be something that cannot be overcome. And just a reminder, we're on Patreon for five bucks a month. If you'd like to say thank you and get early access to some of our shows, you can find out more information at patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 RS links in the podcast description and on our website. Moving on to the ratings for a month, we'll start with a correction from last month. Rawdy the 3.4 to Nitro's 2.7 on April 28th. As with the next few weeks, Nitro wasn't up against Raw. That was on at 7pm till 8 due to the NBA playoffs and then, uh, 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 or as I said last month, the NWA playoffs, which would have been very different. <laughs> Um, and Raw is running 8, and, eight until 10 is its usual time slot so for the next few weeks Nitro on May the 5th did a 2.6 against Raw's 3.4 on May the 12th Nitro did a 2.8 against Raw's 3.2 May the 19th the night after Slamboree Nitro did a 3.1 to Raw's 3.6 WCW are actually said to be very happy with this number given the 7pm time slot and the audience share on May the 26th with Nitro being back to being 2 hours and running directly opposite Raw at 8pm till 10pm Nitro scored a 3.2 to rules 2.7. The NBA playoffs continue on May the 5th as we start Nitro for the month with the end of last week as Flair getting beaten down by the NWO and Piper taking his time. They, they balls up the timing on that angle. NWO banners and flyers drop from the rafters. Piper bumbles an explanation of why he waited before Flair calls out six. Conan and Hugh Morris get the better of Johnny and Rocco with a superplex through the table. Who was legal? Was it a DQ? Well, it's WCW. Roman Sierra does his best Spider-Man impression to face six with the Outsiders. All three in jeans and t-shirts. Six wins after a blind ref Outsiders edge. Bedlam breaks out and Double J comes out to reverse the decision. That's JJ Dillon. Bischoff tells Dillon he's no stroke as the full NWO get in his face. The Outsiders and Six now do a weird looking chop the crotch taunt. 
Lee Marshall somehow manages to name drop Montel Williams and Edgar Allan Poe in the same call. Bischoff's back with Hogan, who says he wants Sting. There's no sign of him. Regal and Meng managed to go shorter than six and Basira, which lasted 50 seconds. The dungeon run in, but it's double DQ. Go figure. DDP seems a man-made after last month. He gets a very sugary hype package. Afterwards, Paige and Kimberly talk to Gene before Macho cuts in from the bleachers. Jarrett beats Wright. Glacier beats a job who looks like Patriot Del Wilkes or getting taken down by Vanderberg's monsters. And the Harlem Heat versus Paige and Giant gets thrown out. Seriously, five of the six matches on this show ran a combined less than five minutes. As Paige goes to the back, Hoven and Savage maul him as, as the rest of the order take down the Giant. Oh, and Wall Street's back. The crowd is indeed going mild. We go off the air with the NWO standing tall. Moving on to May the 12th, and Michael Buffer randomly opens up the show with Savage and Liz arriving to talk to Paige. Ridiculous amounts of NWO shirts are in the crowd. Also, don't try the ooh yeah drinking game at home without adult supervision. Hoovy and Ultimo Dragon go longer than five of the six from last week with Dragon getting the sleeper for the win. Gene brings out Piper Flair and Kevin Green, the three build Sunday before the Outsiders and Six cut in from the big screen. Malenko manages to drag a half-decent match out of Mongo, but as the rest gets distracted, we again see Reggie White, who tackles McMichael, and Malenko wins. The crowd go mad at White, who briefly talks with Gene after the bell. Scotty Riggs is out to crickets to face who Jay's Vandenberg now calls Wrath, who wins, but out comes Dell's hero Glacier. Well, just to stand there, really. The Dungeon of Doom then beat perhaps 1997's most random tandem of Ice Trade, random tandem, one of them, Ice Trade and Alex Wright. The Wunder Kid hints at a heel turn. It does kind of a very slightly less tepid reaction than his usual one, in fairness. Bischoff arrives to close and he says he's bringing out Sting. The music plays, but it's the NWO Sting. Larry tells us it's not Sting, it's Stink. Bischoff asks him questions, but he gets he responds purely with nods. The crowd buzz as the real Stinger arrives and they both batter up. Death Drop and Sting stands big as we lead into Slamboree. I tell you what, Gene, I'm going to keep this short and simple. I have never lost in Charlotte. I'm undefeated. NWO, there's three things in this world that are definitive. They're cut and they're dry. Three things you can put in the bank. One, you got to pay some taxes. Two, eventually you're going to die. And three, in Charlotte, Slamboree, I am going to break my foot off in your ass. I don't, I, I don't think he can say foot, Ric Flair. Me! Me! Woo! Charlotte, North Carolina, Sunday night, Hall, Nash, Six, count on it, the hot rod, the nature bar. KG will be there. Woo! Live! Roddy Piper, I know this is one that would be a personal vendetta for you because what these men have said about you in the past. Boy, have I had some fights in this building! Outsiders, NWO saying they're the big lions. Lions, tigers, bears. This is not the Wizard of Oz, and I ain't Dorothy. 
You want to talk about me being a dinosaur? Yes, I'm a dinosaur. Yes, I'm a Tyrannosaurus Rex. And in Charlotte, I'm going to be starving. Hey, hey, yo, hey, Piper. Hey, Piper. Hey, Piper. Wait a minute. Hey, Piper. Hey, Piper. Right there. Hey, Piper. Hey, Piper, you so hungry? Well, I know where there's an all-you-can-eat buffet, and it's right down here. Down where? Right here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, greetings from Charlotte. Woo! Nature boy! <laughs> Guess what your old lady's doing when you're out of town first thing in the morning, pal? What's up, man? She's leaving my hotel room. <laughs> he didn't say that, did he? Yeah, you know, we wish we could be there in Baltimore, but there wasn't enough cheese to go with all that wine, if you know what I mean. Because you two dinosaurs have been whining about how the wolf pack don't respect you. And we don't. Well, you're right. And after Sunday, right here in Charlotte, you're going to have plenty to whine about because we're going to snuff you out. Yeah, one last thing. You know, Green, you ain't going to be able to show your face to Charlotte. She might as well get traded. But you know what? Since we're calling the shots, as we always do, guess what, boys? The rules have changed. Because in Charlotte, next Sunday, no DQ, no count out. Somebody's getting beat in the middle. <laughs> he may not be able to show his face. He might show his foot, though. Tony, back to you. What a roundhouse and as we're going to find out, this, t- this month's TVs are quite quiet. So we're going to jump straight into the paper. Dal, you can kick us off with the results. Certainly, Bob. Starting off, we had the now Stephen Regal. He was defeating the Ultimate Dragon for the TV title. Regan won that one and is now the new TV champion again. Medusa beat one of his showing. Rey Mysterio Jr. defeated Yuji Yasuroka. Uh, Glacier beat Mortis. That was by a DQ after interference at the match end. Dean Malenko retained his US title. That was against Jeff Jarrett. Meng beat Chris Benoit. That was in a death match. The Steiner brothers defeated the Dungeon of Doom, Conan and Hugh Morris. Steve McMichael in the, the battle of the former Super Bowl champions beat Reggie White. And in the main event, Flair, Piper and Kevin Green defeated NWO Wolfpack, Nash, Hall and Six. Pete, what do you think of this show? I actually really enjoyed it. I, I was pleasantly surprised how good it was in the end. I, I may be on my own there and saying that early on, but I think the main event was by far exceeded expectations going in. But I think obviously from the news there, it seemed like the, the plans had changed where you know one man was going to be, be battered like six in the match and obviously all three of them took, took the hit and I think that made it even better. The crowd in Charlotte, I think, popped big for the, for the main event. Uh, Reggie White and Mongo did a good job in there. Um, and overall, it was a solid night of action. I think I actually quite enjoyed it. There's a few, you know, I'm going to go through that, a few few duds in there as usual, but most of it was pretty good fare. Del? It's hard to argue with Pete, to be honest, Bob. Um, something you get quite a lot with WCW pay-per-views in 97 is it tends to it tends to bring up matches that you've kind of seen and a lot of people that you kind of see week by week on TV and then month by month for the pay-per-view, but all that considered, it's actually a, a ridiculously decent show. Um, there was a couple of kind of dodgy matches in the middle that I'm sure will come on to, but overall, as a show, I dare I say, if you paid your, you paid your money, you probably got your money's worth of this. 
Yeah, um, you know, kind of a broken record on WCW pay-per-views, but the, the strength of the undercard is now good enough to where you know you're going to get some good matches. I don't know that there was the the same depth or quantity as good matches that we see on other shows, but I don't think the undercard was necessarily all that better or all that worse than, say, your your batting average for the last six months or so. Um, and, yeah, you look at the matches that had any build, of which there were only really two, um, and Mongo and Reggie White was, I mean, 15 minutes. I mean, it, it, it was going okay. I will get there. It was going okay. Um, but they, you know, the, once the crowd kind of settled in, and once you work out, oh, fuck, Mongo's got to lead this, um, then it just kind of really started to sag. And then you get to the main event, uh, a match that, in some respects, was not all that good. A match that in a, in front of another audience, or you know, the classic, you know, how how good would this match have been in a vacuum? Would this would not have been that this main event? And yet, I you know we we've covered a few matches where Flair's been over as anything. This was as over as I think we've ever seen Flair. And as a result, the main event was fantastic. Uh, we'll uh, we'll get to there. We'll get there in in a minute. But we will start with. The opening match, it's no longer Lord Stephen Regal versus the Ultimate Dragon with Sonny Ono. We start with some arm action. Dragon flips into an arm lock as Regal counters into a head scissors. We get a test of the strength. Regal wins out into a slam and then back into another stretch. Dragon hits a drop toe hold, then runs Regal up Regal's back, which gets a pop, follows that with a top rope head stand, and Dragon is in control. Dragon jumps on Regal and slaps him. These childish moves are getting a much bigger reaction than the actual wrestling. Regal rocks in a bow and arrow, Dragon counters and then just boots Regal in the back twice, goes for a reverse STF. The fans are actually starting to chant for Regal, which may legitimately be a first. Regal gets thrown to the floor and Arrow gets some shots in. Dragon doesn't seem to like that, uh, doesn't seem that pleased. Yeah, he's interference. Dragon hits a Frankenstein off of the top. Regal kicked out just before the three for a pretty good pop and another one when Regal avoided a moonsault. Dragon goes through a Magistar cradle that ends up rolling straight into the ropes. He then hits a second rope moonsault. Dragon hits a moonsault to the outside as both go down. He beats the cow, but Ono gets some shots in on Regal. Dragon cuts him off. Ono then kicks Dragon deliberately. Regal then hits a front suplex, then tries Dragon up in a Regal stretch, and Dragon submits. Submits even. Stephen Regal is the new television champion. Del. Um. So what I said at the start about kind of seeing these matches and seeing these guys, this this is something that we have seen a lot in the last few months, but it, it it's still enjoyable to me. Um, I think something, but it's quite hard to get invested when you've seen these as much. I think something that could help it is if Dragon spoke, but um, that's not doing something we're going to see. I don't think in the immediate future. The Steve Regal thing. I've well, I suppose Steve Regal would maybe make a bit more sense, but when you see it as Stephen Regal without the Lord, but he's still out in the same, the same tights and largely the same kind of stick, I, I don't really know where that's kind of going, but any match where you hear pro-Regal chants, I'm going to be pretty kind to, which I genuinely don't think I've seen before. I think you're right when you say it as a first, but the, the crowd seemed to lap it up. They were really into it. The, the two offences reaching them kind of mesh well. The end it got a wee bit messy, but it's a Steve Regal match, so I'm going to be, I'm going to be into it. But for an opener, I thought it was actually a really good wee match. It's nice to get Regal with the, 
with the belt again. I just hope it doesn't lead to his getting constant 15 minute and one second matches going to time limit draws in the next what, few months. What, that brilliantly intricate storyline of 1994 95? Mm, it's, uh, 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 yeah. I see when they wait for that big pop and then it goes on that long and nobody really cares. I hope they don't kind of react that one. Well, it is Terry Taylor and Paul Orndorff with the book, so we, uh, we we may well find out. Yeah, I, uh, you know, speaking about a cold day in hell in volume number two, I would have said it, it would have given it long odds that you'd have had a, a match between Stephen Regal and the Ultimo Dragon, and Regal was the one getting cheered, um, given just both of their wrestling styles and and you know, and neither of them are American, but it's a lot easier for a, a, a Brit that looks like a works like Regal to get booze than it would be Dragon. Um, Pete, what do you think of this? Yeah, I think what sort of was missed maybe around it all was like the storyline that was probably in there that wasn't mentioned was that Regal lost the belt to Prince Iakea, couldn't get the belt back and pin Iakea, played the long game by injuring Iakea, so the Ultimate Dragon wins the belt, and then wins a match against Ultimo Dragon. But Ultimo Dragon is a better and superior wrestler to Prince Iakea. So it's kind of a bit of a weird way of getting the belt back on Regal, but I guess... It was one way they tried to play it, and obviously with a bit of help from Sonny Ono in there, which develops that a little bit. Um, it was, I think as Dell says, sort of the, the classic kind of start to regal matches, and they did build really well. I think the middle bit was quite the pace quick, and I think they sort of got rid of the catches can style and just started to start to lump in some kicks and a bit more heavy duty stuff. The finish, I think you're right, was a bit poor, but um, regal needs to lose something or gain something in that new gimmick that he's got. It seems like it's not enough of a change, but at least the belt's back with him. So uh, I think we're all pleased about that. Yeah, I think Dave Meltzer said that if uh, if Regal wants to go through a change, you might look at getting some new trunks. Um, the ones he's got aren't the most flattering right now. But yeah, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree. Like, you know, I, I think the... Yeah, I'm not necessarily thinking they're going to turn Regal face. I mean, we we watched him on on Nitro in the couple of weeks that followed. It's not like he was a babyface all of a sudden. Um, but you know, I don't know that just saying, "Oh, he's not Lord Steam Regal anymore," means all that much. Like, you know, I know what they're trying to do, um, but I'd either I either completely ignore it or tell a better story. I don't know that I tell a really flimsy kind of couple of throwaway lines about it i just you know just start calling him steve you know, wcw can forget far bigger things than this i just probably forget about it more than anything else i kind of agree with you Dale. i'd call him steve regal if nothing else but yeah if it's if it's a move away from this slightly posh and more overt character into this more kind of bruiser type role i think that's a generally a benefit so i wouldn't disagree with that um but yeah, while it was a good match, the dynamics were odd. Um, it's like watching, uh, it's like watching wrestling in another language. When you think that, that like dragons working a heel, um, Ono kind of turned on him, but kind of didn't. Well, in fact, he did by the end. And then Regal's working this style that's, you know, still a heel, not particularly working like a face, but then starts getting cheered. It's, uh, it's a bit of a mishmash. But technically, it was a very good match. Um, you know, there was enough going on where you, you can easy to kind of relegate that to second or third in the running order um, in terms of what you talk about with the match. But technically, the match was fine. They did a lot of impressive stuff, and it was certainly one of the better matches on the card. Um, I just don't know that, you know, I know there are other TV shows. God knows Kevin Sullivan, one of the reasons he's left is that they're in a book like six hours of television a week or whatever it is. But I don't know that I wouldn't have 
if I was going to make an effort to tell a story with this, I don't know that I wouldn't have done something better. I guess would be where I was at with, uh, with Regal's gimmick change. But uh, certainly not a not a bad opening match. We move on next to Louis Vachon versus Medusa. I now get to try and explain exactly what I think can remember happening with the uh, WCW Women's Talk this month. So they opened up a a weekend's worth of TVs at the beginning of May and basically said that Medusa had defeated Akira Hokuto for the WCW Women's Title in Japan. That didn't actually happen, but, you know, it's, it wouldn't be the first time that, that Phantom Title changes have happened. The problem was that WCW mentioned that on TV, but apparently didn't tell anyone involved. Um, so, like, Medusa got the TV the next week and was cutting interviews and was saying, you know, I still want the belt and all that kind of thing, even though, you know, in, in canon she'd already won it. Akira Hokuto was working in Japan thinking she was still the champion, I think, and something like that. Um, and then essentially they just forgot about it after a while. As far as I'm aware, and it was one of the things that happened in the final two weeks of TV, one of the... <laughs> Fucking hell, that segment. One of the things that happened in the final two weeks of TV was Medusa agreeing to put her career on the line. This is Medusa, one of basically two and a half women in the WCW women's division, having to put her career on the line for the sake of the title match. But I believe this. Del, Del, does that fit your recollection of the story? You've, you've managed to actually make it almost plausible. So fair play to you, Bob. Um, Pete, Pete, any more? No, I, I, I think I, my first question was who and what is the title holder and what happened. So you've done a really good job there. Uh, either that, or I've just made it up. Although to be honest, I'm a WCW. So I'm not... <laughs> anything more on this stuff before we get to the match? I am. Um, I'm still waiting for the kind of middle rounds of the last women's title tournament they had. So I mean, I think I'm a bit of a lost cause when it comes to consistency. Or the or the, uh, the cruise, women's cruiserweight belt. That, oh, mind, um, mind that. That's maybe how there's his little woman and the and the heavyweight division they're all waiting for the cruiserweight title to come in. So let's let's not try and explain it any further. We move on next to what I believe is a non-title match between Luna Bichon and Medusa. Lee Marshall joins us on commentary here. Fuck knows why. We start the usual exchange of slaps and strikes. Luna takes charge and guns at the camera. Medusa rallies, Luna screeches, Medusa hits a spin kick. Vachon hits a snap suplex, Medusa rides her in the corner and hits a series of knife edge chops. Medusa runs into a clothesline and takes a, back bump, uh, takes a bump basically straight onto her neck. That either looked really good or really bad, depending on how you look at it. Luna goes for, for a splash to the top, misses. Medusa hits a bridging German suplex, pins Luna, slaps her on the butt, because why not? Whips her top off, she's got another one underneath after the match while she's celebrating Pete. Um, now you've covered up the championship bit. I mean, the best bit of the match probably was the tap on the arse of the three count and her trying to tap her top off at the end. I mean, that that neck bump Luna took was, it did look, as you say, it could look one way or the other, but it could have been seriously nasty if that had gone, gone the other way. But to say these two, as you said, were sort of the only kind of two active women in WCW at this time is a pretty sorry state of affairs, really. So uh, not much else to say on this one, really. To be fair, I think that's peak. Um, you know, if you, you follow the last 18 months of, of WCW women, we've yeah. had Medusa, we had Sherry, then we just had Medusa, then we had a lot of Japanese women part-time, and now we've got Medusa and Luna. Yep. So that is two. Um, but yes, that is not really a division, is it, Dil? It's very... Very hard to stretch to a division, I'd say. Um, the, the problem that I've kind of got with it kind of, I mean, God love it, it kind of just seems to be Medusa that brings us, but you see Alundra Blaze in the Fed, and it's 
well, it's Bill Nakano. Every what four or five months, whenever they decide to remember that they've got women, now she's back as Medusa again, and it's like you just see it against Akira Okuto, like every month or two. And so I mean, just getting Luna in there gives that a bit of freshness. I mean, dare I say the the best thing with women in the last couple of months have probably been either Deborah McMichael's promos, where she just goes off in crowds, or the full woman Jackie kind of stick. That that's really been it for. For females in in WCW, um, I, I do totally. Agree. I mean, I, I never hide my hatred of, of Lee Marshall. I, I can see why Mike Tanay comes out to call an Ultimate Dragon match, but what Lee Marshall offers, I don't really understand. But um, it it just felt kind of half fresh, which was good for the good really for Medusa. I mean, it was kind of a, a bit of a weird dynamic again. Back to the first match with Regal and Dragon, where Regal was getting cheers. Medusa was just kind of going full savage on, on Luna with like the shouting and the screaming and I mean I suppose you could make the argument that she needs to get into that kind of zone to take on a, take on a, a Luna Vachon but it wasn't the worst match as I say I'm just more happy to see Medusa take on somebody that isn't Akira Hokuto but um, it's good to see Luna, I've always been a fan of Luna Vachon, I don't think she's really been been utilised nationally as much as she could be so hopefully she gets a bit of a run and I'm just happy to see her back yeah, I, I feel like a, a a women's wrestling division right now is just quite difficult to do. Like you know, you've there aren't many female women wrestlers in North America, really. Full stop. I mean, I'm sure there are others. I wouldn't want to be that naive, but I don't think the talent pool's that big. Um, and so as a result, you've you have to import a lot of women in from Japan, which is fine, but it means one, they're not around a lot, and two. Well, three things. One, they're not around a lot. Two, their grasp of English is not the best. And three, or perhaps isn't, I don't want to stereotype, but perhaps isn't. And, and number three, it's that if there's one thing we know about wrestling from both sides of the WWF, WCW divide, is that given them any Japanese talent, and they will tend to book them in the same way. So it's not like you could bring in eight female Japanese women's wrestling. You'd have to work really, really hard to kind of differentiate between them. And I'm not sure that, that either company is particularly able to do that. And so you do end up with this, and we end up with Medusa working occasionally with the whatever acts are around. Um, the matches aren't ever really long enough or ever really good enough. And God knows we know Medusa is capable of more, um, even Luna to a point. Um, and yeah, it's just kind of in a death spot. You know, it doesn't help that you know. Oh, let's make up a title change. Oh, let's not. You know, that doesn't. That you know, you wouldn't do that with your world title. At least I hope you wouldn't. Um, and yeah, the, the match was okay. I'm just struggling to get invested while they're getting invested. I think, Dell, you're right. When you look at the WCW female talent, you would probably put Medusa at third or fourth in terms of screen time and in terms of effectiveness behind Deborah, behind Woman, and behind mm. Jacqueline. It's all valets, isn't it? It's all valets. Yeah. It is indeed. And speaking of uh, speaking of Jacqueline, one of the fallouts from the Sullivan thing, if we don't get to that later, apparently they were teasing them splitting up. And one thing they were looking at doing, and they still might as and when Sullivan returns, is a potential match between the two, between Jacqueline and Sullivan, um, with the view that Sullivan would put her over. Um, I wonder if that's got anything to do with them trying to beat WWF to the... Uh, to the line where, you know, Jacqueline's concerned, say, compared to a China, say. Um, so there's that. But, like, Jacqueline seems like she can work. And if you were looking to build a division 
she wouldn't be the worst person to start around. But yeah, you know, up until up until they can work that out. I mean, you know, two months ago they were having a WCW Women's Cruiserweight tournament. Not that WCW need any more champions right now. Um, but when the when any prospective division is ninety percent Japanese talent that will only be available a couple of weeks at a time, very difficult to get anything off the ground. This match wasn't really much of note. The the bump Luna took bloody hell. Um, you know, we'd, we we yeah, it's. You know, it's it's the the cactus Jack mankind thing, isn't it? It's you know, I, I I want you to, you know, take the bump when it matters. I suppose this is pay per view, but it's a five minute nothing women's match in the second, on the second uh, in a second match of a WCW pay per view. Um, not that it was inherently a dangerous bump; it was more one that went slightly wrong. But it's like fuck, like you know, just don't bother with it. Anyway. Nah. No, the only thing that worries me when you're messing about Sully and Jackie is that they not just literally do this thing last month and that disco cunt got fired because he wouldn't do it. Was that enough for Jackie as well when they want to get her in with the men? And I don't know. I, I, I just worry when they can't handle women versus women. I don't know whether I would be trusting them with women versus men. But if it well, gets Jackie into the ring, though, fair play. If we can get up to four, that's how he's got a bracket. So the division yeah, somewhere. That's true. Yeah, you... Uh... You can at least divide. I suppose it was about division. Four is at least divisible. It isn't a prime number. Um, we're getting a bit too far into mathematics here, Pete. Anymore? Yeah, and I thought with Jacqueline, we're looking to make a, that that's a bit more feminine, sort of coming out, not that kind of tough southern girl kind of thing they had previously, where she's dressed a bit differently. And now they're talking potentially in the future of her taking on a man in the ring, which means she has to be that kind of tough, you know, take no prisoners act. So it's a bit of a juxtaposed position there. So. That's going to be another change, maybe for Jack along the way. So that'll have to work itself out, won't it, in the future? Might have to, indeed. The NWO music hits, and it's Randy Savage and Liz. Savage says very little until we see Paige coming through the crowd with a bent crutch. Savage and Liz legit. Uh, Bischoff, I don't know what that is. Bischoff then holds Savage back. Oh, they they leg it. Right, there we go. No space, that helps. Savage and Liz leg it. Bischoff then holds Savage back but calls for backup. Paige says, You've probably got to go to Hogan's house so you can wash his car and kiss his ass. To which Bobby Heenan follows up with, I'd rather wash his car. <laughs> Savage eventually walks into a beating. Paige then slays Bagwell, Vincent, and Bischoff with increasing brittle crutch before Scott Norton takes control. The NWO take control but then outstores to try to run them off pete um it, you know it's just random pays and sourish skits we can have but i it was a treat for the live crowd which was probably enough in the positive column i think at the start of the show you asked my opinion of, of the whole pay-per-view and it was like this is also without the giant page savage and hogan being in a match tonight and they still had a good night of action so at least we got to see them in in something to develop it. I'm not sure Savage is obviously quite fit to return to full action. So I think it was just to probably get the crowd back up again, maybe after the women's match. I think Page and Savage is a match we've had before, but I think we need to see a lot more of those two. I've always liked Dallas Page in the last sort of six months. He's coming across fantastically well. The Giants obviously coming back into his own again, but he's not been in the ring a great deal in matches. So, That'll be interesting to see what happens to him moving forward. But as you say, the crowd lapped it up. And I think, to be fair, sitting there watching it, I enjoyed it as well. No. I mean, to be honest, up until you get to the main event and the reaction that the crowd gets with Flair and the Carolinas and Kevin Green and the Carolinas, you could you could probably argue this was the hottest bit of the night. Um, 
pages, pages over like hell. It's starting to kind of look a bit like Terry Allen, which is a wee bit kind of weird, but it, it, felt, it felt real. I mean, I, I'm quite happy to see these two. I mean, I know we get it pretty much week in, week out in Nitro. We, we Savage usually coming out for the coming out for the crowd and then legit legging it that way. But I, I, I quite like these two. I think the two of them's got the two of them's got legs. I do if we can get them back into the ring because that match really over delivered when they when they got the pay per view. So if we can get them back in the ring, I think this has got legs. Dal, who's Terry Allen? Uh, Magnum T. Magnum P. A. For the eighties, page really for, looks like. Thank you for, uh, for for that translation. Um, yeah, as I kind of say, like you know, to a point, if a, if an angle's over, you can't be all that critical of it. Um, yeah, they are treading water a little bit while Savage is injured. I don't know how much longer he'll be out for. So that hasn't helped. Um, but yeah, it was a hot angle. It wasn't really any different to anything else they'd done before. But I think to a point, you've got to do these things to keep people interested. And I think as you, Del, as you say, this was probably the hottest thing on the show aside from the main event. Mm. And and probably the, the only thing on the show aside from the main event that had the most build. Or the thing on the show that had the most build aside from the main event. Um, so yeah, it was an effective angle. Even if you didn't really do anything of note, um, you know, it just... They're, the more they put Paige in angles like this, the more people are going to see him as a star. Um, and to a point, that'll keep working. I know you can keep doing it, but to a point, that'll keep working. I'm kind of surprised that Paige that didn't work somebody else on this show. You could have gone in, in a few different directions with this if you'd have wanted to. Um, but yeah, I can't really be, I can't really complain about this angle all that much. We will next to Yuji Yasuroko versus Ray Mysterio Jr. Mysterio starts working the leg. Yuji works a fairly methodical style going out of the arm. Yasuroko dominates the opening minutes, but Mysterio counters with a back body drop and a bundling and bundling Yuji to the outside. Mysterio goes for a running attack, but Mark Curtis blocks him. So this is weird. Curtis then sets up awkwardly leaning through the ropes. The camera gets right in Mark Curtis's face and he looks really awkwardly into the distance up the ramp. We see in the background Mysterio bounces off the far set of ropes, runs through the ropes and does a somersault planche over the tops of the floor. It looked really good, but fucking hell, they could have side-posted it a bit less than they did. <laughs> Mysterio comes off of the top, usually hits a spin kick and Mysterio lands hard. Yasuroka goes for an armbar. Tanae's surprised that Yuji's working the arm rather than the legs. That sparks a bit of discussion between the commentators over his best approach, which was actually a very good bit of commentary. Mike Tanae brings up Yasuroka's tag partner in war. You'll recognise Lance Storm from ECW appearances recently. Bobby Heenan says, Lance Storm sounds like a weatherman from Omaha. Yuji comes off to the top and hits a splash on the outside. Mysterio hits a split leg moonsault for a near fall. Mysterio goes for a victory roll, but Yuji sits out on it for a two. Mysterio rolls it through for a two of his own. Mysterio comes off to the top with a splash, but Yasuroka moves out of the way. He hits a lovely looking double arm DDT. Mysterio kicks out. Apparently, he won with that move on Saturday night the previous evening. He goes for it again. Mysterio counters with a bridging pin for a two. Mysterio goes to the apron, sells for a bit, hits the springboard Hurricane Rana, and picks up the win. Dell. How ridiculous is Mark Curtis? I'd love Mark Curtis to bats, but they, they really didn't help him look less buffoonish. And it's he's he's kind of pitching for looking ridiculous as it is with the, the kind of assistance of the production staff. Um, again, again, it was a, a decent match, good athleticism for the period on that. I don't know much about this UG Yasuroka. I mean, I, I'm not Stuart Brooks. I'm not clever enough to really know who these people are a lot of the time. 
But um, it looked all right. He's got a good vertical suplex. The double arm DDT was all right. But when it doesn't really mean anything, it's kind of hard to get hard to get excited about it. Is this somebody we're going to see kind of regularly, or is this just going to be a one and done? Like we get well of these international talents. Um, I think it was quite it was quite unlucky with the placement. I think the crowds were pretty cold after the. They paid Savage back. They're obviously all worked up to see they two go at it, and then they're going to get Mysterio and and Yuji um, Yusuroka. I think they were a bit flat, but they did pop for the for the end of it, which is good. We we raised Springboard kind of Hurricanrana thing that he does. Um, just a little bit kind of a little too late really for me when it came to the point the came to the point where they're getting a, a pop at the end. That's good, but it kind of like five ten minutes before that, there's there's kind of kind of just filling in the gap, really. But um, with it being overly negative, though it was a decent wee match, it's just you kind of get a lot of decent wee matches in WCW. It's just we'd kind of like them to mean something. Better. Yeah, this is probably like your decent sort of Nitro match, maybe a little bit longer than your normal, but that's probably was the issue with it, I think, it being another match for Rey Mysterio up against somebody who we don't really know a great deal about, but this international talent that's, that's come in. Um, but it was... For what it was, it was a decent match. Both guys, you know, doing that. I quite like the way that, um, I'm going to call him Yuji for the sake of getting his surname probably wrong, was working the armbar and that did spark that kind of debate during the commentary and Fujiwara armbar was mentioned quite a few times. I think that was a bit of a different look to a, a Rey Mysterio match. It wasn't just all sort of flips and dives and other karanas, etc. Um, but there's only one man probably who for 15 minutes can pretty much take a beating win with the, uh, the flip over and run. That's no Mysterio. So anyone winning all the way when it started, which is a bit of a, you know, it didn't really help that we you know, you don't know who this guy properly really is. And Ray was going to win it regardless. So it took away a little bit of the uh, anticipation. But I think you're right. It was a bit flat from the uh, the last angle they, they shot. But, you know, what can you do? It's got to go on somewhere. And I think the best, best man won and Ray continues. Yeah, from what from what I read from Dave Meltzer, Yasuroka isn't the the most experienced wrestler out of Japan, so I think he kind of gave Mysterio credit for, you know, covering for that, and, and to a point where I don't think any of us particularly noticed that he wasn't that experienced. The match was fine, it was good, um, but yeah, it doesn't help when you bring a guy out that that you know most of your audience hasn't seen before, and a lot of the guys watching on. Um, you know, a lot of guys watching on TV would have only seen the previous night if they were watching WCW Saturday night. So that doesn't help. Um, but yeah, it's, um, you know, fine match. Mysterio wins, which is important. I just feel like they could be doing more with him than just throwing him in PPV filler matches. I think there's better things you could do with that. But anyway. It's all right though, Bob. Shit is just going to pick up because who's up next? It is. Uh, it is. <laughs> It is Vortis with James Vandenberg versus Glacier. Now, we haven't prepped this one and you're not getting back in music this time, but do you have any notes of this match? None at all, apart from my fear and utter love for the man. Okay, all right. Well, uh, we'll revert to mine then. Mortis unloads on Glacier as he enters the ring. This continues for a bit for Mortis calls the backup and out comes Wrath. Glacier picks Mortis off the top and slams him down. A couple of right arms and a back body drop before he sends him out to the ring. Mortis climbs into the ring, hits Glacier and forces the DQ. Mortis gets by the ring steps and basically drops his leg over Glacier's head onto the steps. That looked really nice. The attack continues, then some dude jumps in the ring, hits a couple of wild-looking spin kicks and runs the heels off. Turns out the guy is a karate expert by the name of Ernest Miller, whoever that is. 
Tell, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the floor. Um, it's actually a bit pish, is it? Um, <laughs> um, the street lives, though, so fuck you. Um, I, I mean, I love the feeling when these guys come out, because as we've done before and kind of put the Mortal Kombat bed out it, and I mean, this is just, just feels different. I mean, ideally, would I probably have the mood lighting there? I, I would, just to get that extra that extra bit of feeling that it is something different, but as soon as more... I tell you, you're right, this was different, but it was different in the sense it was shit. <laughs> well, that is different for a Glacier match, because usually, Bob, they are all all Black the stars. stars. All the stars. So it did feel different that I've marked this as maybe a, maybe a 4 out of 10. But, um, it, it, I don't know, it, it, I just like when these, these all get in here. I mean, I think this is... I'd like to think it's building up to like a big triple threat between the three of these big guys and it's just in a monster cage of death and I don't know, I just, I just like these three, but the the match itself was a bit shit, but um, aye, I, I do still love Glacier, the streak is still alive, um, I, I don't really understand why they needed to be quite so mean, he's such a good man, but um, at the end, just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, Jack's turned up, so it, it, it could be. It could be worse. We've now got a fourth man added into the Mortal Kombat situation. Pete, are back on this planet, please. Oh, God. Thank God it was very short and not so sweet. Um, this was just, yeah, the night triangles from the previous week where they just come out and immediately you knew it was going to end in that way. I think the only way it has to end is if someone gets their uh, head ripped off and laughs, isn't it, at the end of a Mortal Kombat uh, match, isn't it? If that's the way it's going to go. Um, I love the way the comedy team, like, there's a fan in the ring, like, you know, someone's jumping the guard around, and suddenly they realise it's Ernest Miller out of nowhere. Who the hell knows who Ernest Miller is, you know? Is it a welcome, is it karate fighting or something he's involved in, is that right? I've no idea. Exactly, I mean, how did they even pick that one out? But I'll give him his due, the kicks he threw were pretty, pretty mean, and he doesn't look in the right place, so with those three very cartoonish characters, he looks a bit out of place, but... You know, as, as Del said, the streak lives on, and where this goes next, I don't know. Del, did Ernest Miller appear on TV the following two nitros? I don't think so. That's that's okay. literally it. They showed like the last ten, fifteen seconds. It just to show Ernest Miller again, but they never done anything new. No, nobody knows who he is. I don't think. Like, I, I don't inherently think this is a, a horrible idea. This whole thing out of the gate, but it's that you, you've got to do. You've got to do more than this. You've got to be better than this. Um, you know, that's the that's the big thing. Like you can't just throw it out. You can't just throw it out there and just hope for the best. You've got to be able to give people some context behind it and just throwing Miller out there. The kicks look good. The crowd are going to pop for those. But it's like, well, you don't feature him on, on TV. And I say on TV. We only talk about Nitro. I can't speak for the other shows. You don't feature him on Nitro any of the two weeks that follow. Don't next angle. No one gives a fuck. Um, and that's kind of the whole problem with all of this, is that they, they had their own segments. Glacey was cool while it was an entrance, and it was cool while he was, you know, just beating people with kicks and, and, and for shit and all that kind of thing. I think you'll find but that now a cryogenic th- kick, Bob. Don't undersell it. Beating people with cryogenic kicks and, uh, and whatever. But it's like, you know, after after that, what? What, what matters? Like, you know, you just keep having these angles. Now, now when it was just Glacier on his own, it wasn't too bad because it was like, oh, a different job every week. Let's see how you can beat him up. Now it's like, oh, we've got characters and angles and nobody cares. 
Um, and yeah, I feel like I need to do something with this. They're, they're just shit wrestlers now. <laughs> like that's the that's the big point. It was the match, whether it was last month or the month before, that big long twelve minute match, and it was like that was just a wrestling match. And it's like you're going to do the Mortal Kombat thing, do it. Like you know, the match length was fine, but they wrestled in an ordinary match. There's just no point. Um, anyway, this this whole group of characters rolls on. We move on next to Jeff Jarrett with Deborah Michael versus Dean Malenko for the WCW United States title. Big Jarrett sucks chance here. We're in we're in the we're in horseman country, uh, but he is definitely the person being booed here. I never can be sure, but I think he was meant to be the face. Anyway, Malenko starts in control with some rest holds. Jarrett rallies with some kicks and a drop kick for a two. Jarrett goes for an abdominal stretch and gets some leverage from Deborah. Jarrett spills to the outside and gets a breather and recon, uh, and recon on the outside with Deborah. Jarrett hits a neck breaker and shakes for a figure four. Malenko escapes, goes for a cloverleaf, but Jarrett rolls him up and only gets a two. Malenko rolls over for a pin, but gets a two. Jarrett manages to get the figure four locked in, but Malenko gets to the ropes. Out comes Mongo. He tries to get Deborah to go away and let Jarrett take care of himself as he's struggling on the floor. Mongo leads Deborah away. Malenko hits a power bomb, then locks in a Texas Cloverleaf for an emphatic victory. Pete, um, I quite like Dean Malenko over time. I, I'm not, you know, in some ways, I sit there watching, thinking, why do I like him? Because it's not, in terms of character and personality, the guy's not obviously going to shoot off a screen. But in the ring, clearly, you know, he's he's got everything there. Jarrett just seems to be a bit lost in this four horsemen that don't really appear to be the four horsemen anymore. They appear to be kind of split into sort of a two. Flair's gone off and done his thing with the with Piper and Green. Ben Wells just off on his own tangent completely. So it just leaves these two sort of battling it out almost together. Um, I didn't, at that point, the interference that Mongo did made sense. But then later on, obviously, what happens later didn't make sense to me. So it worked in that sense that there is this you know, Deborah, Mongo and Jarrett scenario and Malenko was just the guy in the middle of all of it but he was always one step ahead of Jarrett pretty much the whole match technically far superior you know he counted almost everything Jarrett had to offer and um, pleased he won I think I don't know what happens with Mongo and, and Jeff Jarrett moving forward um, if they remain the same but they've got their own little tangents in there but Malenko goes from strength to strength Del I, I, I've never been the biggest Jeff Jarrett fan, but he was just so at his depth here. I think when you when you stick maybe ninety ninety five percent of this roster and against Dean Malenko, Dean Malenko's probably going to be the best wrestler against them. But um, I don't know, Jarrett's he just he's really quite dreadful. I think um, I think he's just Mister USWA. I think just send him back to Memphis, man. I, I just don't. I don't really see what he brings. They, they tried the full facing with Flair. I mean, if you can, if you can attach somebody to the side of Ric Flair and he doesn't get over with the crowd, you're probably going to be struggling. Um, Malenko, I, I think he just looks a lot better attacking than selling. He's done a bit too much selling in this for me. He's kind of like the opposite of Mysterio. For Mysterio looks brilliant when he's selling. Then he throws in a couple of flips and it's brilliant. Pops the crowd. Malenko just needs to be in control of matches and when he was in this he's honestly so smooth. I mean move move to move, hold to hold, there's there's just no wasted motion within Malenko. But I, I just think when you put him in there with Jarrett, it might just be my bias against Jarrett that's kinda of made me think like that. But I, I just think there's 
there's better things that these two and certainly Dean Malenko could be doing for me. It wasn't the worst Jeff Jarrett match I've ever seen, but it was certainly a far cry for the best Dean Malenko match. I remember very little of this match. Um, you know, Jarrett's just kind of a, or a black hole when it comes to being a wrestler. Like, you know, he's you know, he's the kind of guy that if you were to say, you know, can he do this, can he do that? Like, he ticked most of the boxes in terms of his ability. And yet, wrestling isn't really a sport about what you can do and what you can't. It's a sport really of intangibles in many ways. And Jarrett just doesn't have them. Like, he's just not... He's not a compelling act. He's not a compelling wrestler. He doesn't connect easily with fans as a face. He doesn't connect easily with fans as a heel. He just doesn't really connect with anyone. He's not likeable, but he's not hateable. He's not great, but he's not awful. Um, he's WCW Savio Vega. <laughs> what a sad indictment of the man. Wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's like, you know, like if Jarrett wrestled Savio, I feel like the, you know, the world, it just reset to zero. We just everything would start again. Is this going to be a tweak in your new least favourite match? Probably going to get Savio, Scotty Riggs, and Jeff Jarrett in a triple threat. Oh, that'd be yeah. Um, Jarrett's not as bad as Scotty Riggs. I'd rather watch a Jarrett match than a Scotty Riggs match. To be fair, you know um, yourself, Bob. I'm not the best with like, computers and all that technical shit, right? There's this game that's been going about for the last couple of years called, I think it's Championship Manager, right? It's like a football game or soccer for transatlantic viewers and listeners. But, like football, really, very bad. Everyone went, what's football? And they went, oh, it's soccer. Is that, ah, we know that. It was that, it's football. But it's this football game, right? And everybody's marked out of 20 for what their abilities are. Yeah. Jeff Jarrett's like one of these kind of 10 to 12s on everything. Where it's like you just don't really... He, he's he's adequate is probably the best adjective I could give. He's perfectly functionable. I'd sign Jarrett at Torquay. Yeah. Like, he's like, like, it's, it's second division all the way. You're right. Yeah. Right? yeah. Division 3, Torquay, mm. I would put Jarrett in central midfield. Yeah. Right? I, think, I think he's that level... But if I was trying to mount a promotion charge in Division 1 to get to the Premiership... He would be I'd... very good at carrying the oranges. Yeah. Like, you know, he'd be there because, like, Jerry Jarrett was on the board, you know, <laughs> or, or, like, Jerry Jarrett was part of the coaching staff. So it's like, fine. But, like, you know, if you sack Jerry Jarrett, you'd be like, yeah, whatever. Take your boy away, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, I would agree with that. Like, Jarrett's just there. He's just a guy, like, you know, I, I think he's a guy, you know, it's the thing I, I kind of said six or seven months ago when Jarrett finally got there. I get the feeling at some point it hit Eric Bershaw and said, oh, God, this is it. But, you know, <laughs> Jarrett's the kind of guy that you're like, he's got heritage, dad used to be in the business, got a good look, got good hair. You think, well, he might, he might connect with females because of that. You know, it's like, you know, he's got... He's Savio and Riggs. Like, Jarrett has this false aura of charisma. Right, you find out it's fake after a while, but at least it's there. Um, but yeah, Del, go on, Pete. Dell's right, though. If, if Ric Flair couldn't get a tune out of him in any way, shape or form, they should have just gone, tell you what, as you say, back off back to USWA or back to WWF. Jesus, you know, because that was it, wasn't it? It was like the death knell from there. Because Flair, when he was injured, obviously, we had to put Jarrett over as being like, you know, the new face of the horseman. No, it didn't happen, didn't work. 
off you go, my son. See you later. But it, they, they're hanging on now. I don't know why they're hanging around this with Scott. I did not know. Rick Flair can get mean Gene Okerlund over. Exactly. In front of a live crowd. Exactly. Just with the whole cry of mean Gene. That's all he needs to do, doesn't he? Just fuck off back to Torquay. I think that's <laughs> yeah. yeah. My message to Jarrett. Left back on the bench. That was the one. Over on next to Meng with Jimmy Hart versus Chris Benoit with Woman in a death match. They spend a while sizing each other up. Meng goes for a big axe kick, but Benoit slides out. Woman is already howling. Benoit hits a big German suplex. He avoids another big kick. Benoit goes for some chops in the corner. Meng just wears them and goes on the attack. Out comes Jacqueline, or at least that is until Woman starts walking towards her and then she leaves. Benoit rallies out of a single crab. They exchange slaps. Meng hits a big pile driver. Benoit recovers into a crossface. Benoit breaks the count because the ref asks him to. They really shouldn't because the rules of the match. Benoit hits a trio of German suplexes, but Meng stops the third with a back elbow. Benoit hits a big suicide dive to the outside. Benoit hits a diving headbutt, but ludicrously, Meng apparently caught him with a nerve hole as he landed. <laughs> Fucking work that out. Benoit collapses to the mat, and Meng wins by submission. Del, if this, if I didn't tell you this was a death match, mm-hmm. would you know? Can I be honest with you? See, about half an hour ago, or an hour ago, when you asked me to read out the results, I forgot it was when I read Meng Benoit in a death match. Was it? I totally forgot. I, was, I mean, I've, I've got it in the notes that there was one bit where Meng was in the ropes and they didn't break it up. And I thought, why did they that? But then I meant, oh, it's a death match, isn't it? But then earlier on, they did break it up, even though it was. I, I mean, I genuinely just don't understand the concept of what, what a death match is now because I thought I did. And then I watched this and it was just, I mean, it was stuff. We knew it was going to be stuff because you see who's in it. Ben was. Relentless as he is, he can work his stuff as anybody. I'm in Regal. But then you get Meng, the the fucking, the mystery and the enigma that is Meng, Haku, whatever you want to call him. He's a monster. But then you get these two in here. I mean, to me, it was just a, a, a snug match. I, I don't really get what, what was a death match. But I mean, I think, what death match? I mean, mind we've done the, the IWA tournament of the final, at least. What was it, a couple of years ago? The the one that always jumps out to me. I don't even know what the what the stipulation was actually called, but it's one of my favourite upper wrestling matches I've seen when it was um, Parson and Parson and Slaughter. I think it might even have been in New York. I think it was in the Garden, and it only went maybe eight, ten minutes, but that was fucking brilliant. The two of them. Was it a boot camp match? Down? I think it was a boot camp, but it was that is that kind of same. Ballpark, yeah. what I mean, for its like death matches, Texas death matches, boot camp matches, it's they kind of right brawls and bloods and kind of civvy claws and like weapons, and that that's to me what, what this should really have been. This was just a wrestling match for me. Um, but I think the, the thing that took away for the most, I mean, I like the two of them, men, you're never really going to see many kind of cut out classic matches, but. He's, he's watchable enough if you put him in there with the right person. But I think with, with Benoit, it was more a case of Benoit kind of going down a couple of pegs to match Meng, as opposed to Meng maybe up in his game or Benoit dragging him up. Um, when you get that kind of when you get that kind of situation with two folk, I just don't think you're really going to get the best the best match. Um, I actually quite like the, the finish for what it's worth. I mean, I think it looks better. 
and paper when you said um, Benoit goes for his Harley Race headbutt and then it kind of gets grabbed into a, into a death grip. But I, I think it's it kind of loses some of that on the delivery because I think Benoit's really got to go for the headbutt and men kind of adjusts himself to catch him. I think when you see it, especially when they've done it in the replay, that you see Meng just pretty much stays there, and Benoit seems to go ahead, but his wrist kind of loses a bit of the a bit of the intrigue about it. But um, I mean, it, it was pretty much what you were going to get going in. It was a bit slow, a bit stiff, but I think if you thought you were going to get anything other than that going in, then you would be you would be kidding yourself. Um, the highlight for me though was definitely that that suicide dive. For, for Benoit, that's a move that's just cool looking. And I think we, when you get somebody like Benoit, the things like that make him just stand out. And then when you add in the work ethic on top of that, I think yeah, it's about as good as we could have expected, I would say. I think if they just made it sort of no DQ or just, and then let them just go and beat the shit out of each other, it'd been a lot better than having this stipulation that was at times. They went with it, and other times didn't go with it. Just, just made. I thought a Texas death match was that like count of ten, isn't it? The man to stay down for is that right on a Texas death match? Uh, there's been variations, but yes, that's yeah, how I that's, understand it. Yeah, this was a death match, so God knows what was going on. But I mean, my notes at the start were just like men looks like an absolute nutcase. I mean, there's, there's a re- reputation the guy has, I think, anyway, in sort of wrestling. This guy is quite a hard man outside of the ring, and. He looks, you know, you know, chucking Jimmy Hart off at the start as he's walking down to the ramp. Like, this guy's, he means business tonight. I think Benoit being his opponent actually w- would help him look a million dollars because Benoit taking a bit of a beating and, and, and working quite stiff with him makes men look better, which makes Benoit just, you know, Dale's already said it, you know, probably, you know, one of the best best out there. Um, I think the, <laughs> the Tongan desperate finish was, was creative. It was different. Um ridiculous, but, you know, at least it was a way of finishing it, you know, and it kept Meng, I think he did a similar thing on the Nitro before, didn't he, where he just applied that, that death grip and wouldn't let go of it, I think, is that right, for, for, for a hell of a long time? Ah, he's done that in a Nitro, he just went yeah, and let it go at the exactly. end. Exactly, so it just, it just carried that on, I think that this, this death grip is like, you know, maybe should have been a death grip match, you know, and then Meng could have won it outright, couldn't they, but um, it doesn't do Benoit any harm at all, because he did take an absolute beating, uh, throughout it, and Meng sold pretty much nothing all night as well, which must have been quite disheartening for Ben while he was out of the ring thinking, geez, what can I do next? But I actually really enjoyed it. For what it was stiff, it was, you could see the the, the sweat running off them and, and flying in the air with all the, the, the stiff moves they were doing and the, and the, the strikes. So it gave it like a bit of a real, real look, which is different to what we normally see. So no, I really enjoyed it. Pete, what was more of a death match, this match or Shamrock and Vader? Um, oh, I'll probably say Shamrock and Vader. Yeah, I would yeah. too. Um, I didn't get my chance to say my piece on the WWF show, but that was a that was a hell of a brutal match. I don't think this was quite to that level. In fact, I I'd say that with almost certainty. I don't think this was at the same level. Can you imagine um, Vader versus Ming? That'd be interesting. Well, I can, but this is kind of the bit I'm getting to. It's like you know you. They keep telling us Meng's really tough, but they never really consistently show it. Like, you know, he can be involved in matches like this, but it's not like he's presented as a... You know, if Meng... Like, wrestling is a sport of toughness, right? Amongst other things. But it's one of the key attributes. You want to talk about championship manager, that's that's one of them, right? Meng is, you know, a word of a word, one of the toughest wrestlers on the roster. 
And yet, what's he done in the last three years? Other than that, that chair shot he absorbed three years ago from Dusty Rhodes. What's he done since? Very, very little. To be fair, I don't think we can really advocate showing men on the telly ripping out folks' eyeballs. So, No, <laughs> but there's a middle ground, isn't there? There's a, there's a way that, you know, don't tell me Ben's tough. Show me, like, Benoit's the opposite, right? I know people talk Benoit up, but Benoit gets over by proving he's tough. Men doesn't get over because people have to keep saying it because otherwise they keep forgetting. Um, and that's kind of why men had to win this match. But, it, it, you know, it's uh, I'd almost rather Benoit just won. Like, they've done so little with men over the last two years. Like, I just use this as a stepping stone for um, for Benoit. But equally, while Sullivan's on hiatus, they need to do something with Benoit. And this they've kind of shoehorned in with the connection with Jimmy Hart. So that's fair enough. Um, but this match wasn't all that. It, it was okay. Um, Benoit's really good, and Meng's really good too. Like that's yeah, we see what's he done. He hasn't done a lot of note, but w- when he gets the chance to show it, Meng's really impressive. Um, I just think like Meng needs about six months of work before it's really going to stick. Um, and okay, beating Benoit isn't a bad start, but I when I say it's going to stick, I think it's going to stick in terms of storyline. Match was fine. Benoit's really good. Meng's really good, but you know. That they, they need more to it than that. Anyway, we want next to Conan and Hugh Morris with Jimmy Hart versus the Steiners, Rick and Scott. Scott starts with a big belly to belly on Morris. Rick has Conan laying. The Steiners are paired in what I can only describe as a luminous red. Morris is in control, tags in Conan. They continue to work on Scott's arms. Scott hits a desperate belly to belly, then gets a foot up as Morris comes off of the top. Rick gets a hot tag and cleans house. He goes to the top and it's a ropey top rope. Bulldog, which Conan breaks up. Morris just flattens Rick with a clothesline. He then hits a big moonsault, but Rick moves. Scott hits a Frankensteiner. Rick pins him for the win and a satisfying pop. After the match, the heel team break down. Much to Hart's annoyance, Conan hits a big DDT on Morris and then walks off. Pete? The end of the Dungeon of Doom. It's a bit of a sad time in the timeline, isn't it, I think, for everybody? Um, yes. <laughs> that, is, that is one word I'd use. Or, or maybe not, yeah. Um, I think Hugh Morris looked great at the start. I think he, he sort of was looking like being the guy who's going to kind of keep the match going until he got absolutely just suplexed out of his out of his tights by the Steiners pretty much as usual. The Steiners are absolutely knackered, what, five minutes in? I think they were, they were, they were gone. I mean, they were just literally... Struggling, I think, just to keep keep going. The match was what nearly ten minutes or so. The halfway through, I think they were they were done very early. Um, I think Hugh Morris's moonsault that should have missed, but didn't, looked pretty bad because he did, did catch him on the way through when he shouldn't have done. I do like seeing the Frankenstein. I think I'm a bit of a, a bit of a mark for that back in um, Scott's slightly slimmer and more athletic <laughs> days, should I say? But didn't Rick pin the illegal man? And then does anyone care? Fair enough. Rules are the rules. I get that. And obviously, post-match, we had really, who cares, Dungeon of Doom members splitting up. So, you know, the fact that the Steiners haven't lost the titles in the ring yet, and they get this, and all you think about the end of it is those two leaving, it's pretty much just nothing, really. I didn't... It was typical Steiner, suplex, Steiner lines, you know, stiff stuff. But they were absolutely out on their feet. I couldn't believe how how gone they were. I noticed it almost half Well, to be fair, they were involved in a car accident three months ago. Yeah, you don't expect so much. Oh, I see. So it's just selling the uh, the car accident. Oh, that's brilliant. That is... No, you're right. I, I'm I think you'll find it's called method acting. <laughs> 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 oh, 
Oh, God, moving on then. Well, it's, a, it's a delayed reaction because they were fine last month, but they're now starting to sell it. They're oh, now start, you know, it's, the, it, it's not the crash that does you in, it's three months after. It's just like the concussion protocol, isn't it? I suppose it's affection, isn't it, as you're going along? Yeah. Yes, whatever. Del? <laughs> that, that totally agrees with the full concussion syndrome and whiplash. These, these things work in mysterious ways. Um, I, I genuinely thought this was a lot better than it had any right to be. Um, I really like. We only had a right to be off. Well, that's true. I mean, anything above <laughs> shit was kind of good. This was just smelled of shit. But um, I, I thought it was decent, man. I, I, I'm not the world's biggest Steiners fan, but they've got a place. Um, I don't. I genuinely worry about how long Scott Steiner can keep doing the the Frankensteiner. It's every time you see it, it looks more hazardous to Scott Steiner. His legs are getting too big, aren't they? His legs are too big for it. I don't know, mate. I think he just needs to cut back the amount of porridge he's eating in the morning because, fuck me, that boy's getting laughed. But, um... I'll tell you what, it ain't porridge. I can can speak... That ain't porridge. I can speak from (laughs) first-hand experience. That's definitely not porridge. He puts a lot of sugar in it, whatever that is. But, um... I I don't know, mate. I just thought they, they actually paired up pretty well. Um, Jimmy Hart's a bit of a non-entity I always thought Morris was just a bit of a moonsault But as Pete says he is coming on He's looking a bit I don't want to overstate it But he's actually looking quite generally And there he looks as if he can kind of command a match When he gets the chance um, I, say, I thought it was pretty decent they, they all kind of worked The Steiners maybe worked a bit too much In their five minutes as Pete said They did pretty much crash and burn with their car a couple of months ago, about five minutes into this. But um, the the story they kind of tried to tell made sense. They cut off the ring well, the two teams. And um, any any match that you see where Conan is significantly the smallest man in it, it's it's something to behold, I would say. Yeah. um, You know, know, it's kind of like the the matches earlier. Like, I, I don't... You know, I like the Steiners, but they need to be involved in something relevant, and they're not right now. Conan's a bit here or there. Um, I, I don't, you know. Dale Conan's been in WCW for about 18 months. He's done anything of note. Hey, look at what he's lumbered with all the fucking Dungeon of Doom. It's just... Well... It's cancerous to our, to our reputation, I think. I mean, now that he's getting out of that, I don't know whether we'll see anything else. He seems to be... That kind of turn that he had maybe six months ago or something where he started coming out in like the pure Mexican gangster kind of stereotypical outfits and that. I mean, I think there's there's something to that boy for... He's a, he's coming up from South America and he can talk. So he's already leaps and bounds again in front of most of them. There's something there. I mean, he is... He, he certainly seems to be getting the leftovers with Scotty Steiner's porridge in the morning. But I, I think there's something there. I've got a lot of time for Conan. I just don't think he's. I don't think he's really had the chance to kind of show what he can do. Um, I, I just think there's there's definitely something there. If you to if you to pin me down and pick one out of these four to say who's going to be something, it would be Conan. But um, I, I just don't know whether they'll get the chance. Yeah, I think he might have lost that. Lost an ally if Sully's going to be, be stepping away for a bit because I think with we, they two been part of the dungeon together, I think he could maybe have done him some favours for a, for a pencil point of view. But I don't know whether the whether the breaking away of the dungeon could be a good thing for him. I hope so, but 
as you say, in the last 18 months, he certainly doesn't seem to have set any head on fire. Do we think that he may sort of potentially go to the NWO, maybe? Because that may I, then, I really that, hope not. That may then branch into like the Mexican NWO, because there's a Japanese kind well, of Well, we've got the Japanese one, haven't we? So, so, will they go and venture into that market? That's probably an idea, maybe. I hope not, because I think... Will anyone care if they do? That's the issue, because I think when you're looking at an NWO roster at the minute, when you're talking, what, 20, 25 guys, it feels sometimes when you see them all coming out at the one time. That's 26. Well, if they'd have brought them out at 6 or 7, not 26 or 27, I think it might have had some (laughs) kind of merit, but I'd just like to see him getting out of his cell and see what he can see what he can come up with because he's, he's good with working at the unders whether it's like the cruisers and things that's thought about or the luchas or the, even some of the Japanese ones that's coming in I think he could work with some of the pure wrestler guys alright but um, I, I'd just like to see him get a chance much similar to what we spoke about with Meng and try to see him do something and build them up and Conan's in the same kind of ilk where he just needs something to get folk to invest in him wasn't this guy a massive star though in Mexico? In like the AAA, wasn't he? He was huge, wasn't he? Why haven't they capitalised on that? Again, Bob can say who cares. Well, no, because they've given him shitty Mexican stereotype gimmick number four. That's the yeah, that's true. Like you know, he's you know, like I I don't know, I don't watch him in AAA, but I'm guessing he's not playing a shit stereotype there. Like you know, I mean, it's what you said with Meng five minutes ago, and it's like, how do we know he's tough? Because they keep telling us we don't see it. Every kind of couple of weeks, they'll drop in the line that Conan's the Mexican heavyweight champion, by the way. That's all you get. Like, you don't see him kind of commanding a, commanding a, a performance as that man, but hopefully now we might. You never know. He's the Mexican heavyweight champion, but he's shit here. Like, I don't know if that gets anyone over. You know, anyway, we spent far too much time talking about Conan. <laughs> Let's move on to something much worse. Steve Mongo McMichael <laughs> with Deborah Michael versus Reggie White. They introduced White as making his pro wrestling debut, which I think is technically true. I mean, Pete, he was involved at WrestleMania 11, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a he was a backup, wasn't he? So, yeah. Um, uh, I forgot, Lawrence Taylor, wasn't he? So, yes. Uh, Michael, I think. Yeah, uh, so he's played some part in a wrestling environment. So. But he's in ring debut. Anyway, yeah. a lot of sizing up. Mongo goes for a hammerlock and then shoves him into the ropes. Mongo is the grizzled vet in this one. Never coming together. Nobody moves. Mongo gets taken down at third time of asking. He does draws an imaginary scrimmage line mid-ring and they line up. Mongo charges at him and takes him out with the shoulders to the leg. White hits a right arm and Mongo tumbles to the outside. Mongo decides that's enough and goes for a walk. He gets confronted by Gilbert Brown, a teammate of White, who carries Mongo back to the ring. Mongo gets uh, gets in an arm lock. He shouts, Jesus may have your soul, but I got your ass now. Mongo misses a splash. White hits a crossbody for a two. Mongo locks in a crab, but White gets to the ropes. Mongo signals for a figure four, but basically gets booted out of the ring. He climbs to the top, but White throws him off. Mongo pulls White under the ropes and they slug each other on the floor. White hits a nice suplex. The crowd is starting to come back into this. White hits a standing splash, but Curtis is distracted by Deborah. Mark Curtis, the ref, that is. Mongo goes uh, to use the case, but Gilbert Brown stops him. The ref deals with Brown. Jarrett runs out with a second case, throws the Mongo. Mongo hits White with it, and that will do that for the win. Pete. 15 minutes this match went. Um, if it had gone half, it probably would have been, well, for me, one of the matches of the night because you've got Reggie White turning in a performance in his first appearance and Mongo, as you said, 
being the, the veteran taking control of the match and the spots. But I think he did a bloody good job in there, actually, of getting, of getting what was going on in there over and the crowd were well into it. I mean, the fact that uh, Mongo is the better wrestler, but Reggie White's the better footballer, I would suggest, um, in time. That's probably about right. I would probably might, might go all, all over that. But I really enjoyed it. And I think um, they carried it quite well. It was just too long. If it had been a bit shorter, I think all the things they did condensed a bit would have made it a damn sight better. The crowd wouldn't have dropped off. They would have kept up with it. I didn't get, as I mentioned earlier on, that Jarrett came out and helped Mongo after basically Mongo, you know, tossed him back in the ring when he was obviously hurt to, to lose. That didn't make a lot of sense, but I guess that'll play out in time. But for what it was, you know, in fact, we've got two NFL players, basically, and Mongo's only been wrestling for, what, 18 months, 12 months now, whatever it might be. This was pretty good for the sort of semi-main event. So, no, job done, but they just it was just too long for me, just too long. No. Um, if Scott Steiner's won parties, I don't know what the fuck Pete's on, but I thought that was terrible, man. <laughs> um, the crowd seemed in there. Um, the obvious kind of flashback for this is when you're getting a sorry, a football player and we um and we're and we're wrestler. It's Bam Bam and LT, but when they were out there, the the kind of side show the the players at ringside. Dana say a big party was you'd part parts and in there who probably had more than a fair hand in the booking yet, plus he was in there to direct it. I think there's a lot to be said for part parts and when you look at this. I know I'm not I'm not gonna compare Steve McMichael to Bam Bam Bigelow, but you can just see how much better it better worked out that was. Kind of what, two years ago at Mania than than this was. Um it, it was it kinda got a bit tackle stall, tackle stall, tackle stall. It just really never done anything for me. I wasn't expecting much coming in, but when you get... I mean, this was basically an attraction match. When you get an attraction match that genuinely isn't attractive, it ends up like this. And um, I hope they didn't rush too quick into the showers after it, because if they'd have stuck about and watched the main event, you would see how you can get a lot out of quite little. Granted, they've obviously got a lot of star power on their side that these two maybe never had for this this kind of region in the Carolinas, but I thought they could just have made a lot more out of this, or at least no put it as high in the card, because this was... I didn't expect much coming in, but I was not disappointed. You didn't expect much coming in, but you was not disappointed? No, it was... It basically delivered what I was expecting coming in. Nothing. Yeah, um... Yeah, I think if this would have gone on about six minutes, I think this would have been perfect. What was the bit in the middle that you spoke about with the bit? I mean, I don't. I'm still in Madden '93 in the Mega Drive, so I don't know who these boys are. But the big number '93. See, when he came out, end it there, it would have been perfect. Yeah, like that was when Gilbert Brown came out. It would have been just about right time just to wrap it up. Next minute or so after that, Brown comes in, throws Mongo in the ring, and then you can do your big angle. Um, if you like, do it right there. Um, but once the crowd lost this match, they never got back into it. Really, really didn't. Like, you know, they kind of. I think they they, they got back up because it's like, well, fuck, it must end now. Um, but yeah, like once it got into seven, eight, nine minutes, it was like, ah, you know, like Mongo isn't all that good. Like Mongo's improvement has largely been down to wrestling tag matches against guys that are 
you know, significantly better than he is. Mongo leading the way, he's like the blind leading the blind almost. It was like, you know, Mongo's doing his bit. Wright's got some White's got some stuff down, but not very much. Um and once they burnt through that, once they burnt through the, the scrimmage spot and Gilbert Brown came out, it just flattened out. And it was like, yikes. Um, but, you know, it was an attraction match. It was it was for the newspapers. It was for the television. It was for a bit of intrigue. And in that sense, it ticked all three boxes. It did that job. Um, and nobody had any expectations going in. I think you're down to a point you're right. Like when your expectations are that low, it's very difficult to undercut them. I'm not inherently sure they did, but they tried that hardest. They yeah, really did. Um, but 15 minutes was just a bridge too far, um, and it's one of those things. It, if it had been six or seven minutes, we might have been praising them just for getting through it and not because they didn't do anything in it. Like there was no real fucked up spots. There was nothing that was really horrendous. It's just that the minute you lose the crowd with a match like this, you've got nothing. Because the whole point is that the crowd are invested because it's two guys they know about. The minute you lose them, it's dead. Um, and that was what it was, really. Long story short. Anyway, to the main event. The NWO, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash and Six versus Kevin Green, Rowdy Roddy Piper and Ric Flair in a no disqualification match. We'll come to the actual match in a sec because we need to, <clears throat> as we mentioned in the news, fill in a bit of the blanks. So as we discussed quite in depth last month, this feud has been probably going on as much off screen as it has on. Um, <clears throat> and amongst other things, Roddy Piper has you know, creative control over his storyline. So when it came to time about suggesting the finish and whatnot, Piper essentially said, I want a singles match with six rather than a six-man tag. I'm not quite sure why, um, but he did. Um, and so, obviously, you know, Piper's got a certain amount of creative control. And it's not particularly clear what happened, but suffice to say that apparently Piper's attempt at leverage seemed to win him some credit, or seemed to earn him some credit anyway, in the sense that they did change a few things up, um, including the finish, um, which we'll, uh, I guess we'll discuss that properly at the end. But you're, as we noted in the news, the finish was uh, a tad more decisive than I think most people have expected. Anyway. Flair comes out to a fucking monster reaction in Charlotte. Just huge. The match starts and the crowd is just popping for literally anything Flair's doing. There's just a buzz around this match. Flair up, opens up against six, a big chop, a big pop. Spin hits a massive, six hits a massive spin kick to silence. This is great. Flair gyrates in Hall's direction to another pop. Hall gets in the ring. Flair floors him. Big pop for that. Hall tags in, Flair tags in Green, Hall tags out after Green got pumped up. Nash goes after Green with a few big knees in the corner. Green comes off the ropes with a shoulder tackle for another pop and then a clothesline. I'll stop saying it, but the crowd are reacting to everything here. Holy fuck, a body slam by Green on Nash, the NWO regroup on the outside. Hall wants Piper. Piper tags and slaps, tags himself in with a slap and then slaps him. Piper presumably is going to end up being the baby face in peril, but enjoys his time on top. He does indeed get in the NWO corner, but he unloads on all three. Numbers again catches up with Piper, who's now definitely in peril as the crowd chants for Flair. Piper leaps across the ring and tags in Flair. I was a bit surprised at that. Flair unloads with all that he's got against the three of them. Flair does his flip over the turnbuckle, runs up the next one and jumps straight into a crossbody, uh, which Scott Hall catches him and hits a fallaway slam. We spill to the floor. Green gets a shot into six from behind. Flair is now spark out in the middle of the ring and the crowd have flattened down a little bit. Six hits a running leg drop in the corner. Flair and Six go back and forth and they collide with mid-ring and collapse to the mat. 
We get tags to Piper and Hall. The ref claims not to have seen the tag, so Piper just floors him, but why not? The match breaks down, and here's Nick Patrick. Former NWO, should be underlined. Green clears house, and we're left with Hall and Flair. Flair hits a low blow. Nash hits Flair on the apron. Hall goes to the outside edge. Flair puts the figure four on him. Piper goes for a sleeper on Nash. Green eventually body slams six. And after an age of standing around, Nick Patrick counts the three on Hall as Hall's passed out in the figure four, and everyone else is sparked out. Um, Del, as we say, in the annals of decisive finishes, this is about as decisive as anything we've seen in the NWO. It was actually, ironically, black and white, the, uh, the end of this. I thought they'd done really good. Um, the match itself, as you said, even right for the start, it makes perfect sense. You've got an NFL star coming out. Who does he play for? The Carolina Panthers. Where are they? Charlotte, North Carolina. It makes sense. That's why he's there. You then bring out Piper, decent. You bring out Flair, the roof comes off the place. The the NWO have been doing really good. It's nice to see them. It, it's kind of as if this is like a, a sect unto itself. These three, because we all the Hogan and Rodman stuff in the last couple of months, and then the the pretty much X, Y and Z of the rest of them, these three feel like something different. And you know they're on the same page because they're the stories that you hear, whether it's up north or down south. Or, it, it, it just really came together well. I thought it's good to see Scott Hall back the ring. It, you did say it a few times, but I really don't think you can say it enough about this crowd, who just they just went daft for everything. And that's whether it's just kind of building for hot tags or if it's like stuff that's happening in the ring, they were just totally on side with it, and it helps. You, you can get good matches and get bad matches, but when you've got a crowd on your side, you're going to struggle to you're going to struggle to kind of get a bad match out of that. I mean, it almost felt like a... It was nearly looking back 15, 20 years ago and looking at some kind of sports show match where they're just playing to the, playing to the crowd and having a bit of fun with it. But when you put the, the lights on it and the cameras on it, it just felt brilliant to me. Um, Piper was pretty quiet during the following, but bear in mind the, the bill coming into it, as we spoke about at the start, that makes sense. Flair and Hall, I thought, was easily the best pairing in the in the match. But again, you would probably say that coming in just because they're clearly the two best workers on each side. Um, it's kind of nice to see Six in there. I mean, he didn't. He, he has a bit of an odd fit when you put him in with, with Flair and Piper and then Nash and Hall, but he didn't seem overly out of place. Um, you can see why they gave him Kevin Green, but it, it's nice to see him getting a bit of time and he's been talking with uh a good bit more in the month and all. It's more kind of the last couple of weeks, but it's, it's good to see him getting a bit of time. But I, I just thought they'd, they'd done so good. For doing so little, really, if you want to kind of call a spade a spade, there really wasn't much in this, but what there was, just it made sense. It worked, and the crowd fucking loved it. Even even watching in telly, I think that, as much as there was a bit of bollock sense to the finish it, I think it just popped after a day that was watching that, and I, I don't think you can really ask for much more for main event. Hey. I think the uh, the porridge that I'm eating is continuing because this is probably one of the most enjoyable matches that I've watched in WCW so far in 1997. I think I just sat there and with that crowd just continually just keeping this this alive and Flair being classic Flair of old and of now, 
I really like six in the match. I actually think he probably was one of the guys I was most surprised. I quite was looking forward to seeing maybe like six versus Flair moving forward. I think that's going to be something that's going to maybe work out on television quite well. I thought Kevin Green did a pretty good job. All the things he did, that clothesline outside of the ring looked pretty solid and he did a good job. He delayed his body slam for a hell of a long time. You're right there, Bob, at the end. We had to wait a little a while for the, uh, that to happen. But I think Dale's right. So if you actually, in your play-by-play there, Bob, there was so little really that actually happened in this match. But you would never have thought it because it just seemed to, to roll on so well. And I think Hall and Nash are perfect in, in that environment. Um, it was an emphatic win for WCW. They, they, they dominated it and they were the guys who were going to get the win. Um, the trouble is, I think this was probably just a bit of a one-off, though, for WCW by the looks of it, because obviously, I think the next uh, Nitro Flair took a bit of a, a beatdown, didn't he, from the NWO in that sense. But for what it was, a perfect way to end the night, the crowd go home happy, I guess we do as well. wonder if the finish would have been so decisive had Hogan been in the match rather than six. <laughs> yeah. I leave uh, ponder that for a moment. Yeah, um... Let's bring the vacuum back up for a sec. This was a very ordinary wrestling match in some respects. Like very little went on. Six, you know, worked really, really hard to to patch up the differences of definitely Green, de- very definitely probably Piper, and to a point even Flair working his first match in eight months, and I'm not even sure how fit he even is. I suspect to a point Flair was going to have to come back in this match, in this setting, come what may. Um... The crowd were just fucking into everything. I mean, Green got a good pop. Perhaps not the pop you'd quite expect, but I think to a point they were just thinking, well, shit, let's save it for Flair. Piper got a very good reaction, and then Flair comes out, and the pace just fucking explodes. And then the match kind of starts, and Flair's getting a reaction for everything he does. The lot. Chops, fucking posing, looking at the other guys in the wrong way, all that kind of thing. Crowd are all over him. Um, I thought sixing role in this match was very important, as I say, in kind of, you know, just trying to keep things moving and keep things mechanically going. Um, but a very well-booked match. And, Pete, we come to the finish. I mean, you know, I don't know what was what was the other side of this trade-off was in terms of to, you know, we talk about there not being clean wins. I mean, this was, this was unnecessarily clean, almost. Um, like, you know, it was a great finish, a fantastic reaction. Um, but I don't know that, I don't know yet, um, you know, I don't know necessarily what's going to come of it, but uh, a big finish that speaks volumes of something, I'm just not sure what. I think you mentioned in the news, though, that obviously, um, I think Kevin Nash has said, look, just to have six take the pin would have been so obvious that he's kind of the, the weak link out of the six in the ring. So, let's do something different and I'll tell you what, we'll all just take the, uh, the the loss and we'll let this crowd take it over and flare and the Carolina kind of Charlotte thing. But as you say, what does this mean now? What is there going to be this, this trade-off to us literally laying on the floor in Scott Hall, passing out on a figure four leg lock and sit sort of selling a body slam like it was, you know, some sort of unbelievable manoeuvre. I, I, it does seem a little bit strange when the NWO has been so dominant. I think you made the, the best point. It's probably because our, our man Hogan wasn't there and Bischoff wasn't probably out there involved either. So that's probably where this creativity took over. Dale, thoughts on the finish? 
give me a second to get out of the flashback. He keeps saying unbelievable manoeuvre. I thought it was back in New York. Um, <laughs> I actually loved the, the almost like the backstory of the finish being there because it was made a, a behind the curtain thing than an on screen thing. But when you get Michael Buffer at the start of this telling you it's the battle for respect, I think the fact that they three kind of almost pitched that finish kind of shows you where the respect for each other is. And that when you get Hall and Nash, they're saying, no, you're not just fucking pinning that wee dick, because that's too obvious. We'll take it with them. I think that just shows a unity that's between the three that you don't often get in this age, and you certainly didn't get in the past age, where it's where it's player and Piper in their prime maybe 10, 15 years ago. I, I just think it's, it's so refreshing to see People are actually clubbing together, and if they can, if they can somehow manage to get that kind of togetherness in their locker room, I think you would have a very, very valuable commodity in that because that's the kind of respect that you want to see in a sporting environment. This is obviously wrestling, and it's a bit different, but it's it's things like that that just make you feel pretty, pretty good about what you're watching. And I think if they can, if they can take that almost kind of brotherhood. Into a, into a wider locker room I think it's it's really cool and for, for them to kind of pitch that as a finish and to deliver it and for it to get such a big reaction I just think it speaks volumes Yeah and credit well to a point credit also that you know they, they not only did the finish but it's not like you know, I think all three of them are still spark out on the show and off the air um, so they really sold it yeah I, I don't know whether they were trying to prove a point or anything like that but um Word from backstage is apparently um, it earned them a lot of credit and a lot of respect, so it's a fair play for that. Pete, your overall thoughts on this show and a score rating out of 10? Um, I think I said at the start, I think I, I, I quite enjoyed this show. I mean, watched some, some real, well, I've been involved, obviously, on these, these shows, some, some proper duds that I've not really enjoyed that much, and this one was a bit of an upturn for me, and I think the main event was obviously the... Uh, the end, which really left you with that sort of smile on your face, and you know, left you thinking, what's going to happen next in the in the world of WCW? Um, I think across the night there was just solid matches. There was there was no real sort of duds. There was no sort of crap finishes. There was it was it was a, a pretty decent show overall. And I think I'm going to the NFL um, side of things could have been a complete disaster, but actually it wasn't. I think it was just a bit let down with the Reggie White match being too long for me. But it, overall, I'm going to give it, you might be surprised, a 7 out of 10. Del? I watched it twice. The first time I watched it when I was doing the the TV side, of it, I thought it was one of the slowest shows that I've seen. Um, as we've said kind of countless times in the last couple of years with WCW, there's nothing really obscenely bad, but there just isn't really anything that was that good. I thought it was pretty slow. The second time I watched it, it actually flew by. Um, the opener surprised us that the main event was just off the charts with that crowd and the reactions that everyone was getting. That um, The Reggie White-McMichael match was a stinker, but overall I thought it was actually really good considering the names that were new on the show. You'd need Luger, you'd need Giant, you'd need Hogan, even little things like the, the Harlem Heat and the Public Enemy usually get these kind of stalwarts with WCW in the middle. Page and Savage only had a, a skip more than anything else. But um considering what they were what they were stuck with with a roster, I actually thought it was a really, really good show. Um 
the first time I'd looked at it, I'd say maybe a five or a six, but second time I've watched it and just enjoying it, which is something you don't really do a lot of the time, is just enjoy a show for what it is. I'm with Pete, I'm going with a seven. Yeah, that's completely a hat-trick of sevens. Um, it was, uh, you know, I, I think a show full of good matches, a lot of which lack context, and I think they need to be better than that. Um, in the, a lot of the pairings didn't make sense. A lot of them, you know, it doesn't help they've been kind of rushed for TV the last few weeks, but equally they, they could have done more with some of these other matches. Um, but ultimately that main event was phenomenal. Um, that's what people are going to remember. And that's what they bought the show for really was that and the match before. And yeah, nobody's buying the show for Mongo McMichael and Reggie White for a great wrestling match. They're buying it for a spectacle. I'm not sure they got that either, but I'm not sure the match being crap was as as much crap as, say, they, the spectacle was poor. So I think if you watch that, you probably got enough out of it without feeling quite that let down. And the main event is just great. Like, you know, I know it's flaring the Carolinas. I know it's obvious, but the main event is just really, really fun to watch. Um, and yeah, it's... It, it, for, for that reason, I think this is a 7 out of 10 show. Thank you. We are live in Asheville, North Carolina. And last night, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the greatest thrill of my wrestling career. That's probably an understatement, Rick Blair. I erased self-doubt. I erased a difference in philosophy with the big boys from the NWO. I was able, by the grace of the good Lord, to walk down. Amen. Woo! With the great Kevin Green and the Hot Rod. And I promise you that instead of putting this to the side, I know now I want that it. What is this? What is, what is going on here? Give me some help, please, guys. What is happening? What is this? This interview time has been allocated to the Nature Boy. Who do you think you are? Let me explain something to you for a quick second. First of all, you guys beat no one last night, in our opinion, and it's the fact the wrong guy was in the ring. Second thing I want to talk to you about in front of everybody. Richard. Is this. I heard you say, I don't know about you, Nash, or you, Hall, but you know you can take me. It's more like the other way around, Flair. After last night, being in the ring with you, I know I can take you. I dominated you. And if you got the guts, he's got them. Because we call the shots. 
We can do it tonight, right here and now. If you got them, baby. You got a pair of them. I don't mind telling you, Ric Flair. You know, I'm going to say it one more time. Hall Nash, I do not know about for sure. But you, my friend, are like a fly in the ointment. And in Asheville, I am going to kick your flyway ass. Oh, hey, 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 we got action. We move on to May the 19th for Nitro and we start with the close of last night as Flair, Piper and Green celebrate. Gene welcomes Flair to the stage live who calls last night's win the greatest of his career. Calm down, Rick. Outcome 6 is actually turning into a half-decent interview. He says he knows he can take Flair and they make it for later tonight. Fuck finish alarms ring and loud as 6 bails to the back. First up, we get Regal submitting Prince Ayukaya, whose stock seems to be free-falling. Masahiro Chono, then STS Dave Taylor for the win. Sonny Ono tells Masa he has his worst nightmare for next week. And here a pre-tape from JJ Dillon, who says Nick Patrick's back, but on probation. We come back from commercial, and Tony Schiavone then introduces the same clip again. Don't know what happened there. Patrick returns to see him referee Wall Street vs. Riggs. What a comeback, Nick. He calls it down the line, inclusive of not allowing rope leverage of all foreign objects. The truck then shows us a backwards Scotty Riggs sunset flip. Instantly the most over thing Riggs has done. And it's a production fuck up. NASCAR driver Mark Martin's out to plug a car giveaway and Mean Gene drops the phrase WCW Motor Racing. Speaking of motor racing, the Steiners beat McMichael and Jarrett after Kevin Green, Halliburton shot. After commercial, Mongo and Green go at it backstage. Main event time and six is out alone, flare-wise as we start, but soon the outsiders run in. No green or piper as Nate get edged. Three now officially call themselves the Wolf Pack. Bischoff arrives to close the show. He says he's been looking for Sting, but he's nowhere to be seen. The crowd chant for Sting as Bischoff talks on, but coming out through the canvas, Sting comes up within the ring and lays Bischoff out. We come to the final show of the month on May the 26th. We're back to two hours and we're back to going head-to-head against Raw. We open up the show with the NWO music bringing out Bischoff and Hogan as we go back to two hours. Hogan calls out Sting and his quote, Sting Nights. The open contest sees Hoovy, Super Calo and a debuting Hector Garza beat Ciclope, La Parker and Damien in a trios match. The Deaths then try to put over Alex Wright's heel turn as he loses the psychosis. Not easy when all he's changed is that he smiles less. Gene talks to Sonny Ono after the match and he tries to poach psychosis. Medusa then comes out and asks Sonny for a title shot and he offers one with a retirement stip. She accepts. Ralph then beats Mark Starr. Vandenberg calling out Glacier and Conan gets a quick win over Viano 4. Conan then calls Sullivan his BR Zitch. Our one main event so it starts with Sonny Ono bringing out his nightmare for Massa Chono. Great Muta. Thankfully, Mike Tanay's out, but the match gets thrown out as Muta missed Sonny as the two Japanese beat down, and Muta poses with an NWO shirt. Hour two opens with the Barbarian taking on jumping Jim Powers with Barbarian winning. Gene tries to get a word with Jimmy Hart, but Benoit and Woman interject asking where Sullivan is. Hart tells him to go through Barbarian next week. Giant arrives to take on the three-man team of Johnny Swinger, Rick Fuller and Jerry Flynn. Goes just over a minute and Giant chokeslams all three for the win. 
Post-match, Luger says how he's been keeping tabs on Dennis Rodman as the Bulls were winning the NBA playoffs, and he and Giant want him and Hogan. Six is out there with a live mic to run down Flair, calling him a fluffer. He shows footage of last week's beatdown and brings out the Outsiders or Wolfpack, who then start on Piper. They'll even put the belts on the line. Main event time, and at 10 minutes we got the longest match of the month. Adam McMichael's drawn out, drawn to the bat by Kevin Green. Harlem Heat get the win over an isolated Jeff Jarrett. Bishop and Hogan are back out to round off the night and again run down Sting. We get another through the mat entrance from below, but it's version 2.0. It's not even the fake Sting, it's actually Mark Bagwell. But Bang appears from the rafters as the real Sting flies in. Hogan and Bischoff flee before Sting stands tall and the NWO look on. Sting then takes an age to get his rig sorted back up. He pulls on the cord and eventually gets escorted up to the roof as the NWO are about to attack him. You know, I've always been a fan of the NBA. But this year in the playoffs, I've been watching with an extra keen eye. A man by the name of Dennis Rodman. I want to see how he moves. I want to see how he thinks. I'm analyzing his every move. Because a couple months back, you overstepped the boundaries. You entered our domain. And when I laid unconscious, you spray painted me. You slept me. You humiliated me. And now, you've got a signed contract for WCW, and I'm here to say that the Giant and myself want to be first in line to get our hands on you. So, Rodman, I hope you wear your nicest dress, you color your hair 17 colors, and you're wearing a brand new shiny ring, and you're feeling the best you ever have in your life about yourself. Because, Rodman... You know what they say about paybacks. And sooner or later in that match, you're going to be stepping through those ropes with the Hollywood Hogan, your buddy and pal in the corner, and you're going to be looking. Get this. Oh, my. At this and this. And you're going to be saying to Hogan, oh, my, what did you get me into? Get on, try it. Let's face it. You've got some chips out there, and I think you want to collect against Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Right now, I feel like the Shylark that nobody's paid. Hogan, time and time again, you've been here, you've been there, and lately you've been hiding. But now that you're here, you're in the building, I want you to listen. Listen up loud and clear. What comes around, goes around. And the giant is coming. And we finish with with only one one real discussion point. So the, the big news out of the month. Uh, Dal Kevin Sullivan on uh, on a break, bit of burnout, bit of uh, go away and kind of recharge. Um, you know, I don't think we miss much much from an on screen perspective. But obviously, the lead booker in what would I argue is possibly the hardest job in wrestling, trying to keep so many different stakeholders happy. Particularly when you yourself do not have a lot of leverage. This isn't necessarily, say, a, a Vince McMahon situation from a few mm. years ago. McMahon was the owner of the company. This is Sullivan, who's just a guy. Yeah. A guy with not that much you know, equity on his own, trying to keep Piper happy, keep Hogan happy, keep Flair happy, keep the the outsiders happy, keep all of these, you know, Bishop happy, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Um, and also, lest we not forget, in charge of 
what is ostensibly a very successful product right now, as much as we might have flaws with it. Um, I don't want to say well-earned break. I think it's a bit more nuanced than that. Um, but I think it's clear, as we kind of saw in the last couple of months, the, the job is getting very hard. Um, and yeah, I think if you're trying to book this much TV with this much pressure, having a, a break isn't necessarily a bad thing, if that is what it is. Um, I'll be honest, I think it could be a blessing in disguise. Um, if you look back at the show, we've just looked at in the, the seemingly apparent break-up of the, the Dungeon of Doom. If it's a case, if and when he comes back, as we say, we're not 100% sure at the minute, but if he does come back, I would quite like to see him just in a, just in a backstage kind of role. Um, I, I don't think the Dungeon of Doom has done him the greatest level he could, but if he can go back to that, even before it, the three faces of fear, lest we forget, it built up what what's unarguably the hottest thing in wrestling at the minute, the NWO and the Tony Hogan. So, I mean, he's certainly not a man to, to take a sacrifice, kind of lightly, does it? And um, I, I think if you just look back at the at the reigns that we've been seeing in the last, kind of, God, seems about a year, but um, they, they've just been killing, they've been killing the Fed. Um, they've no go, I mean, they've got a, a very, very strong roster, but it, it does kind of turn into the usual suspects at times where you, you get the same people in the same kind of matches with the same kind of titles in the line and the same kind of outcomes. And then it's, that's all folks, see you next month and you kind of get rinse and repeat. Um, I think that'll be good for a product point of view if they're going to get somebody else right in the shit. But at the same time, I think it'll be good for him as well because if it's going to, if it's going to recharge him a bit, if it's going to bring him back into a backstage point of view and he can just kind of go back to seeing what whoever does in the next kind of few months or maybe see you at the rest of the year, who knows. I think it's going to be pretty fresh for everybody because when you're, when you're winning month on month on ratings and it kind of takes you to basically strip them half your show down to, to half. I mean, the, the first three weeks of this month was was an hour long, if you cut out the commercials, you're talking 40, 45 minutes. It's it's pretty much taking that kind of level of, that level of kind of handicapping yourself to get New York kind of even getting close and winning with the ratings, comparing the the like for likes. I mean, I think it'll be good to kind of just freshen things up a bit, see what other folks' ideas are. As you say, it, it's certainly a thankless task, because, I mean, look at the, Look at the ratings they've been getting in the last year or two, and look at the the stress that obviously comes with that, just with the amount of outside parties and kind of try to please the TV folk, try to please the wrestling folk, try to please the talent. You've got folks spitting the dummy at finishes, and it, it certainly seems like a thankless job to be doing. But he's done a he's done a good job as much as I've maybe got some reservations with the full Benoit situation, whether that's off camera we with Chris and Nancy or if it's on screen with just Sully and Sully and Benoit seemingly fighting every month with no discernible end in sight like that's an advantage you get from stepping away but big picture I think it could be a I think it could be a good thing for everybody Right Yeah I've got a slightly different view I mean I think you can't blame him for the, for the burnout and what's been going on and the, the time he spent putting together what's you know creatively what's happening in WCW but if he goes away and comes back, what's going to change? Because you're still going to have, you'd imagine, the same egos backstage. To say, you know, Piper's got his own control. Hogan obviously can do whatever the hell he wants. 
You've got Bischoff, obviously, in the background there because this JJ Dillon role has come in, but he's really not done a great deal in that kind of authority role. I don't know if there's something more to this maybe than there is. I know Bischoff's come out and said that, you know, he supports it and, you know, he needs that time away. But if he does return, you know, freshened up and ready to go again, but what changes in the next, what, three to six months again when this is still happening? Because, you know, WF's going to be picking up their game and trying to get these ratings back on a level level pegging, maybe. So is he under more pressure when he comes back? Because that show we've just reviewed was a, you know, a bit of an upturn potentially and some things happened a bit differently to, than before that maybe he may not have agreed with or had been told to get on with it. So he's in a very difficult position, Um I think a pat on the back to him for going through all of it and, and putting up with, you know, all those people backstage. And But you're right there, the leverage thing. He has got no leverage whatsoever back there. And as you say, with Vince McMahon, I own this company, so at the end of the day, the last call comes from me. But Kevin Sullivan can pitch an idea, can't he? But who, you know, Piper and Flair, I think, probably had his back with Luger and Page maybe. But ultimately, if Hogan just stands up and Piper stands up, that's it. It's vetoed. So... I'm interested to see when he does return. Rockdale says, what role will he play? Will he just be uh, alongside and helping creative? Or will he be back in that creative, uh, having the book again? I'm going only hope he comes back to a Glacier World title run. Jesus Christ. <laughs> quick, Bob. Quick, be, uh, quick, Bob. <laughs> that would be a sign. Something was step very in, wrong. Step, step in quickly. Yeah, I'll, I'll mute Dale's mic. Um, <laughs> but... But, yeah, I mean, what's that episode of Fools and Horses where Dell tells Rodney that the best thing you can do with your job to, to make them notice your value is to hand in your, hand in your <laughs> resignation, right? Know your worth, brothers, know your worth. Yeah, that's right. And uh, Rodney adds in his resignation, his boss just accepts it. Yeah, that one. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, it's... It, it, it's interesting. Like it, it, it seems like a very stressful job. And listen back to the last month's show. You'll you, you, know, you don't really need to fill in any of the blanks to work out how much pressure he's under and how many different parties he's trying to please. You know, he's trying to. He's, if it was just Hogan, it'd be bad enough. But he's trying to please Hogan, Piper, Flair, the Outsiders, and everyone else. And as I say, from a position with very very little strength himself. So he's kind of having to build that from the ground up. And creatively, it's just a very, very difficult... You know, creatively, not the easy job anyway. Even if you're doing well, which they are, it's not, you know, sometimes you know, having one creative mind at the top, you need to have a rotation just so some fresh ideas and a fresh set of eyes can can start put, looking at the products and putting it together. Um, but, you know, I think it's uh, it's an interesting time for it to happen. There's a lot going on right now in terms of, you know, there's big matches being planned with, you know, Dennis Rodman and things like that. So that's all being put in place. Um, but, yeah, I, I, you know, it's like the one way to prove how difficult the job is is to let someone else do it. I've always been a believer of that. If you want to, the only way for someone to find out how difficult your job is to let them do it. Not that I think his job has been formally taken over by one other person. It seems like it's just been absorbed around a four or five different key players: Terry Taylor, Paul Orndorff, Jimmy Hart, Arn Anderson, and then the kind of 
residual bits of what Hogan can book himself and what Piper can book himself, etc., etc. You know, if they if he's away for three months and they all work out, oh, shit, this is a lot of work. Sullivan comes back with a bit more pressure. I'm not saying that's why he left, but that might be an offshoot of all of that. Is that if he can if he can return and people are like, well, fuck, I didn't realize how difficult this was. We might help you out a bit more. That can help. And yeah, you know, plus it's just uh, that's going to be an intense job trying to book. You know, two hours of nitro on a Monday. All of the stuff on the on the um, you know on the pre-taped TVs at the weekend. Most of those are done in bulk, and not that they have much of an attention span for those kind of things these days. Um, apparently, Disco Inferno rocked up on a on a Saturday night match this month. He hasn't been involved in a company for two months. That kind of continuity and that thing going on. When you add that just to the pressure of trying to juggle all of these different egos and all these different interests and trying to keep a product successful when you in yourself have very little actual leverage like if if you were to say if you were to sit down and meet with Eric Bischoff and say how expendable is Kevin Sullivan I suspect the answer he would give you if he was being candid would be very um and we've heard discussion before about how Sullivan even while in you know Sullivan should be one of the hottest hottest commodities in wrestling right now and in some ways he is you know, the, the guy booking the successful territory right now has always been the hot commodity. Sullivan is that guy right now. But equally, I think Eric Bischoff would say, yeah, I bet we can work this out without him. And, and Bischoff publicly and even privately with the talent has said, look, it's just a break. going to be off for a while. Recharge your batteries. Come back. That's kind of what Bischoff's been saying. It's not to say that's inherently wrong, but things can change. Um, and I, I guess we'll, we'll see to a point. But yeah, it's... Uh, Perhaps it was obvious after what happened last month. Um, and I guess we'll just wait and see and see. You know, there's a, there's a couple of things that seems to move. Alex Wright for, yeah, Alex Wright can't buy, <laughs> can't buy well if he tried. Alex Wright was on the cusp of a big babyface push in the middle of 95 and then Flair got replaced by Sullivan and that got canned. Wright does nothing for about two years. And then about four weeks ago, they turn Alex Wright heel at the whim of Kevin Sullivan. And then right as that happened, Wright got, you know, Sullivan leaves, new booker, Wright loses cleanly the next week on TV. And Wright's brilliant, right? Alex Wright's act as a baby in a heel is exactly the same. It's brilliant. It just gets booed now. Like, Wright comes out, he dances, he's got a bit of a grin, a bit of a girl on his face rather than a grin, and it, they put him against the baby face, and he dances at the right moments, and people boo him now. That's it. But now he loses. Can't buy. Can't buy Rydell. Any more thoughts? I'm just waiting for the Glacier title on in the big monster heel run at Alex, right? Well, I suppose there is a, there is a booking job available right now. I suppose, well, dare I say, I'm the man, Bob, I'm the man. And I'm certainly more dare a pencil man than a word processor man, so... Dare you say it. Pete, any more I thoughts? I can't really follow that, Bob. Okay, I think that's fine. We'll end the show. <laughs> a very big thank you to Peter Kimmett. Pete, thank you very much. Thanks, Bob. Pleasure as always. Uh, Pete, tell people about your wrestling podcast and where they can find you on Twitter. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at pkimber one and my podcast is Card Subject to Change, which is mainly modern day WWE interviews, etc. We're on episode 58 now, I think, and we're looking, heading towards going to download and watching NXT live, so that'll be interesting in the future, but you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, the usual places, so please go and check it out. And Zomir? Thanks very much, Bob. I'm just very, very excited to listen to Volume 4 and the play-by-play of Friends. Yes, yes, that happened. I've already um, listened to it, it's brilliant. Me, me, you know, I, I didn't just play-by-play the, the USC bit, I play-by-played the whole you, fucking episode. You did. So, <laughs> match, a match-style review of an episode of Friends. 
Um, that got a bit weird at one point. I'm like, oh my god, what's happening with my life? But was yeah. that with the strip poker bat? When did it get weird? Uh, there was no strip poker in. Oh, I'm maybe hanging the episode before. Uh, well, oh, or, 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 or another episode of something that isn't friends. What, what you were, <laughs> whatever, whatever you, whatever you were watching a few weeks ago. But yes, volume number four, we, uh, what we do take in UFC. Um, the reason the friends episode involved is involved is that there is a significant UFC presence on that show, as they have the uh, you know, Tank Abbotts on that show, as is John McCarthy, as is um, Bruce Buffer, I think, and it's all about. Um, uh, Monica's but you'll hear it all in volume number four. It's a great listen, I recommend. I've already listened to it, it's brilliant. Thank you very much. In volume number two, we take in the WWF Rory and Craig take you through In Your House, A Cold Day in Hell, Shamrock versus Vader, uh, amongst other things, but that was the highlight for me of that show. Anyway, volume number three is I like to get to ECW. Me and Chris look at the Buffalo invasion as the ECW breaks their own gate and attendance record, so you can list all that there. Anyway, just a reminder that if you'd like to back us or thank us for all of our contributions to your life, Lives, you know, this is a bloody hell, this show, 120 odd episodes. Now you can find out more uh, information about our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 YRS for five bucks a month. Uh, you can back us and get early access to shows like our UFC show earlier this month. Uh, everything else is on our website, wrestling20yrs.com, blogs, uh, show reviews, all the old back episodes, etc, 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 and all the ways that you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, etc, etc. I've been Bob Bamba. This has been the volume number one of the May 1997 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye.